to the Pilgrim's Digress. It is I, Zach Bartles, here with Mr. Sagacity, and we are talking about Chapter 13, uh, Vanity Fair, and we've got lots to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did not even broach the subject of Vanity Fair last time, because we had so much talking about talkative to do. Yeah. So let's get into this immediately. These guys have been warned. you got to go through here. And when you go through, one or both of you will probably die. Seal his witness with blood. What do you do in that scenario, Mr. Sagacity? If if a man told me that if I if I go someplace, You're gonna I'm, die. I'm probably gonna yeah. die. I don't know. I mean I mean I wanna say I wanna say I'd, you know, kind of follow in the footsteps of Paul, right? Comes out, binds him. This is what's gonna happen to you mm-hmm. if you go to Rome. And he's like, Gotta go. I'm, I'm there anyway. Yeah. Has to happen. Uh, Agabus? Was that Agabus? It was somebody. I don't know. It's an interesting way to get away your like, prophetic. I always get that confused with Abacus. That's the, that's the little that's calculator the thing. thing. I think Abacus, Agabus, Agabus is the, the prophet who ties him up. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you go there, you will be this bound. This is what's going to happen yeah. to you. And doesn't matter. Got to do it anyways. I already knew this was going to happen. To live as Christ. Yeah. Die as gang. I want to say I do that. You have a wife and kids, but so does I do, Christian. And so does Christian. I mean, I mean, he's got to do it though. That's the thing. It, yeah. it, the only other option is to just stop. You look at you look at everywhere you've been so far, and I think that that argument could be made any like any place. But you have a wife and kids. But you don't you love your life? Mm-hmm. But don't mm-hmm. you like your comforts? But don't you like your this and your that? And you go, yeah, but that hasn't stopped a single step. I've unless made. I hate my life, I'm going to lose it anyway. Right. So, right. Yeah. So you know, you know, this is a necessity. I'm sure it certainly gets heavier, though. Heavier right, on yeah. your back. Your call, this you know... This you is know, now going to be final. That cross you're carrying definitely kind of increases in weight uh, as you get closer to Vanity Fair, where seemingly this is that last, like, really big step out. If you're faithful, anyway. Because, because Vanity Fair, I'm saying, is like, it, it, this is an enticement to leave the road, to set down your cross at the door... Right. Kind of, kind of, you know, frolic here, wait here, live here. Sleep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then and, and it, it's the exact same thing that got promised to Faithful Wanton, right? The road's going to be there tomorrow. You can leave. You can't. You're not going to leave once you purchase these temptations. This seems like that last big effort to not just kill you, but to actually just pull you completely away from Right. Both of these guys could probably have made it through. And uh, I think in this in this first episode is where I've, I've I've been working on three simultaneously, so I may get a little confused about what happens in this one. Yeah. But uh, I believe it's in this one where where Christian basically says, "Why didn't we just buy a little something? Just Why a tiny little thing? Just a little? Not 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 you know slaves or harlots or or anything like that or lands or titles, but." A little something to eat or drink. Just Jack a little, of cards. Yeah, then we would have fit in better. Yeah. We would have compromised a little bit, but not really compromised our values. Mm. And Faithful is absolutely horrified by it. Yeah. The, the very notion. Why? How? We know where that would end. Yeah. It's like gambling, right? You're a little bit in, then you got to cover your losses and try and make up a little more. Then, and before you know it, you're you're so far into the house uh, that you're never gonna you're never gonna be free of them again. I think that the real answer to all this for the true pilgrim, like you said, is. You have no choice. You have to go through this. And that's how Bunyan's introduction to Vanity Fair goes. He says you have to go through it and that it would be impossible to actually go to the heavenly country without going through it unless you went out of the world. Yeah. Which is language taken like almost directly from 1 Corinthians 5, 
Uh, verses 9 and 10, Paul's writing to the, the church in Corinth. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So the, the idea is you're already in Vanity Fair. This is another place where sort of the analogy, the allegory breaks down a little bit. The moment you're saved, you already lived in Vanity Fair. You know, yeah. it's, it's not something you come upon. And maybe for a while you completely withdraw. You cut yourself off from old friends. You know, people go through the, the phase of, I only listen to Christian music and I'm always... But, but after a while, the spirit starts compelling you to re-engage with the world, right? And and that's what's happening here, I think, for these guys. And it, it's going to be uh, difficult because the world hates the gospel. Mm. And they're going to start interacting now, not just with the occasional guy walking along the road, but with the crowds and with the culture at large. And gosh, that that can become, I mean, in their day, canceling was a thing, only it was far more serious than it is now because it involved stocks and pillories and losing your head possibly or the guillotine yeah like or, or yeah or. the noose or whatever yeah so th- this is going to be their biggest challenge and of course he introduces it by by talking about how the fair i mean it's not new it's been established for many ages uh, he says almost 5000 years ago meaning uh, mm-hmm. i guess at the fall uh, right. is, is his intention uh, there this thing was established and ever since, anybody trying to walk the narrow road, I thought it was interesting that he has the notion of the narrow road going back into the old covenant world, mm. uh, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, th- what else are they preparing for the coming of the Lord and making straight in, mm. you know, in that, in that famous passage in Isaiah? Uh, but it's been there. And so he talks about how Jesus himself was brought through this fair. Uh, almost 5,000 years ago, even then, there were pilgrims walking toward the celestial city, just as these two honest persons are doing. So Beelzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, along with their associates, <laughs> makes me think of like a, a law firm, Beelzebub, <laughs> Apollyon, Legion, and associates, um, and noticing that the path along which these pilgrims traveled toward the city passed through the town of Vanity, they determined to construct a fair. It would be a festive market in which there would be sold every sort of vanity. We listed all of those uh, last week. And moreover, at this fair, there is the constant entertainment of jugglers, cheats, games, clowns, plays, mimics, tricksters, rogues, and many other amusements. Here are also to be found a number of free offerings, including thefts, murders, adulteries, perjurers, all available in various shades of blood. Gosh, that's well put. Mm. (laughs) A beautiful but horrifying bit of prose from Bunyan. Uh, I like this, too. He's always going in to kind of let the English off the hook a little bit. <laughs> Even though it's the Church of England that's got this guy rotting in jail yeah. when he writes it. He's, he says, but as in other fairs, where one commodity group tends to dominate over all others, so the merchandise of Rome is lavishly promoted in this fair. However, our English nation, along with some others, has expressed a disliking for this flaunted huckstering. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Pope and Pagan, maybe that's why, uh, you know, when you're in an English setting and you're walking down that road, the one remaining giant can only bite his nails and mutter. Mm -hmm. But maybe if you were somewhere else, maybe if you were in Italy or somewhere, he would have more power. So the place where we start with the the opening of this episode is uh, certainly kind of expanding on the the idea 
uh, that's contained in this paragraph. The Prince of Princes himself, when traveling in this region, passed through this town, when headed toward his own country, and at a time when the fair was in full operation. Yes, and I believe it was Beelzebub, the chief lord of this fair, who personally invited him to buy some of his vanities. Yes, he would have even made him a lord of this fair, if only the prince had bowed to his overall authority while passing through the town. Further, because he was such a person of honor, Beelzebub escorted him from street to street and showed him, in a short space of time, all the kingdoms of the world, so that he might lure the Blessed One to lower himself and buy some of his vanities. But this stranger had no desire whatsoever for this merchandise, and therefore he departed from the town without spending so much as one cent on these worthless goods. Therefore, this fair is certainly an antiquity of long standing and a very great fair at that. So the idea that Jesus himself subjected himself to the most embarrassing aspects of being human at the mm. end of the day, right? Yeah. Like, he watched YouTube. You know? <laughs> or, you know, like, all this yeah. nonsense yeah. offered, and you almost can't even imagine Jesus in the same space with it. He lowered himself, not just to suffer, but to just be in the midst of yeah. our icky vanities and, yeah. and huckstering. It's a beautiful picture here. And I love, too, then, that you have... Apollyon, involved in the founding of it, who mm. then is coming after Christian. You have Jesus entering through and walking this same path through the same difficulties before Christian and faithful, so we know that it can be done, and he has done it for them on their behalf already. Yeah. Uh, the The whole thing is uh, just a master stroke of, of allegory. This guy, he grabs something from Scripture and so seamlessly weave it into the plot that... It's perfectly fits, and the more you think about the biblical ramifications of it, the more sense they make. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's it's like when you go and watch a Christopher Nolan movie, you have to say, "Don't think too hard about it afterward," because it'll all come unraveling. But uh, I think we don't have to worry about that with Bunyan. The more you yeah. think about it, the more it yeah. like the tighter it weaves together. There are several texts here for he departed from the town without spending so much as one cent on these worthless goods. The obvious one is Luke 4, 5 through 8, and then uh, Matthew 4, 8 through 10. I'm sure those are both the, I know the Luke 4 is, is the temptation. temptation of Christ. I assume that Matthew, it's the same thing, right after Jesus' baptism. Uh, it's interesting that in, in Matthew, the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. In Luke, he drives him out. The word is ekbalo, which is a casting out a demon, uh, mm. the same language. Uh, balo means to throw, ek means out. Uh, you can see how that word would become to kind of send out, push out, force out. Uh, the Spirit really wants him yeah. going through these temptations to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. Uh, but then the other text is Hebrews 12, 3. And I'm going to read that, and then maybe you would read one of those two accounts of the temptation. I know Luke is your preferred gospel. We found that out on Sunday. Do you, do you like, are you a guy that, and this is personal, are you a guy that doesn't like going to the doctor? Let's get personal. I can't remember the last time I've been to the doctor. Okay, that's troublesome. But do you think that's why you don't like to read Luke as much? Because it's like going to the, the doctor? Because no, he's a physician? It's it has nothing to do with his job <laughs> of choice, you know. I don't like paying taxes, and I don't mind Matthew. All right. So, I love paying taxes. Yeah, it's my yeah. favorite thing. But, um, no, it, it's just it's what he's famous for inside of the biblical world is how meticulous and mm -hmm. accurate and everything he is. You can see that's and why I'm I a love guy. Him. I'm a guy that is just. I don't want to say I'm too busy for it, but like. <laughs> oh gosh, I hope not. No, no, but like, but like, 
Get to when, the point, I got stuff to do. When I can have something, you know, sweet and full and heavy and dense like John, for example, like the Gospel of John, and you get into here and it's just sweeping picture after sweeping picture mm-hmm. of Christ's deity and just these massive statements where for John, it's good enough to say at the very, very end, right, is that if we wrote down every work he did, there wouldn't be enough be books, books in the world uh-huh. to hold it. He can just say that. And then Luke's is like, I'm going to try. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm going to at least have two books. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try. And it's, you know, okay. It's not the actions that aren't beautiful, but it's just the idea to me, like, isn't beautiful. I'm sure part of the reason why there are four gospels is because those four Absolutely. approaches connect with different, different people who learn and, and uh, think and, and devote in different ways. Hebrews 12.3, which is the other text given here for, for this idea of, of Christ not buying any vanities, is consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. I think that, uh, in fact, I know from a little brief discussion we had beforehand <laughs> that we were both expecting that to be a different text. Yeah. This one from, from earlier in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then the next verse, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus, the fact that he went through... And knew the hostility and yet remained, you know, as a, a sheep uh, before its shearers is silence. Uh, knew every kind of temptation and yet remained without sin is for us a great comfort and gives us great confidence. Well, I was thinking actually of Hebrews 2, uh, 18. For, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those mm. who are being tempted. Yeah. So, you know, also, also this, this, you know, this concept that you know Christ goes through all of these things. You know, there's nothing new under the sun for any of us, but especially for him when he's connecting with us inside of our humanity, uh, there's nothing new for him. He's experienced it. He's been there. He's able to sympathize with you in death, not only of yourself and fears and 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 weight, but also the death of close friends and things like that and sicknesses and homelessness, right? Not having a place to lay his head and uh, being being driven out of villages because of things that you might say, just speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's able to sympathize with us because he's gone through everything that we'll ever go through. And um, particularly here... So we have to be worried. When we say to him, well, you don't know how hard this is. You know, you don't... This, I, oh, I don't? W- yeah. When you're going through Vanity Fair and someone yeah. gives you that sales pitch and you go, ugh... Lord, you just don't understand how much I need this right now. Uh, yes, he does. He's been there. He heard the whole pitch. He felt the pull. Yeah. And that's, I think, what we forget about Christ's temptation. He he wanted to do it on some level. Yeah. That sounds almost blasphemous to say, but if he didn't, then it wasn't a temptation. Yeah. That tells us both that Christ really, you know, even though he didn't have a sin nature... Uh, was not under the curse, uh, lived in a world that was cursed, and... Fully man and fully God. Yes, so so opened himself up to the the experience that we have that he wanted to turn those stones into bread. He, on some level, he uh, he didn't want to bow down before Satan, but he wanted the thing that was offered to skip the cross. Later we hear him praying for it. He he wanted to just throw himself uh, off the, the pinnacle of the temple and be caught up by angels, and for everyone immediately to acknowledge who he is, rather than to continue this life of people pretending he's not 
the greatest being, the the author of all things, the sustainer of the universe. So he wanted these things. He knows what that's like. Hmm. And that's why, yeah, especially that text you just read, that's why when we go to him with our temptations, it's going to someone. It's like if you went to, I don't know, Narcotics Anonymous or whatever, and, and you were like, I, I need to just get some help because of this prescription pill addiction I have. Sure. And they matched you up with someone who was like, hey, I'm a doctor. I've never taken those, but I know all about them. Right. You'd say, okay, well, cold, you can clinical. tell me, yeah, you can tell yeah. me what's wrong with them, why I shouldn't do this. Yeah. But when they match you up with someone who says, I've been there, yeah, I've struggled, I've wanted that, and I, and I can help you, like me, to walk away from it, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. So obviously the, the thing being uh, referenced here is Christ's temptation in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. Uh, we're not going to read all of Matthew 4 or Luke 4 to get the, the gist of it. You should pause and read it if you haven't. Um, it's amazing stuff. Satan comes to Jesus at his lowest point, yeah. when he's at his weakest, and offers him things with oily words. Just really quick, talking about coming from his weakest point, um, where he's you know starving and in a desert. One of the things that I find beautiful here is that it, he's he's just left his baptism, mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah. And how much that kind of corresponds to the Christian life, mm. you know, right from belief, hopefully, into baptism. Um, and in behold, to this Christ. is my beloved son yeah, in whom I am then, well pleased. And then right into temptation right. and how, how, how accurate that is for the, the Christian right life. There. Yeah. Right on the opposite side of belief, everything starts to taste bitter and you want it to taste sweeter. Mm-hmm. So you're going to pursue it in a different way. The establishment of that is always really pretty to me, I think. Yeah, and I think it, it people walk through that same thing too, right? They mm-hmm. have this expectation that I'm making this... However you view baptism, I don't think it's just a public profession or symbol, uh, yeah. but it is that, if not mm-hmm. only that. And, and also, God is doing this amazing thing. This is a fresh start. It's, you know, this living picture of being washed clean, of going into the grave and old self and, and coming out the new creation. And then it's not different. Yeah. Entirely. Because the old appetites of the flesh are still there. For Jesus, the, the thing is the old enemy is still mm-hmm. stalking. Yeah. Uh, and so he's got to endure this. And of course, 40 days fasting in the wilderness answers to 40 years of Israel wandering yeah. in the wilderness. Jesus is the true Israel. He goes through the, I mean, all the way down to going down to Egypt and coming back up. And yeah. and, and uh, he, he stands where Adam fell. I mean, when you think about Adam being <laughs> in a garden, yeah. paradise. Yeah. With his wife, yeah, whom whom he loves, and, and there's nobody working against him. It's that they're supporting each other. They're mm. naked. They're happy. Uh, he walks with God in the, the cool of the evening. He has everything he could possibly want. Yeah. He can eat from innumerable trees, and still he falls. Yeah, and then Jesus in a desert, hungry, alone, yeah, lonely, parched spiritually and physically. And still stands. Doing it for his bride. Yeah, you know, doing it so on many, behalf of us. So Whereas many connections the, you can oh, make gosh, back yeah. and forth. Yeah. And of course, Satan comes to him then at the end of that and brings him these three temptations. Uh, they're in two different orders in in the Gospels where they're related, I believe. But the one that makes the most sense to me is the kind of building of, first he says, take these stones. And if you've ever been or seen pictures of the desert in that part of the world and seen the kind of bread that they would have baked, they mm. look very similar. Yeah. You know, it would have crossed his mind. All you got to do is just change this. I, that's the one where I almost say if Satan hadn't suggested it and his fast was over, you know, 40 days complete. Because it is. 
yeah, like why is it wrong? But he doesn't. He 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 continues. The whole point of a fast is you're relying on God for what you would normally rely on, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs for. Like yeah. it's just a reminder that he's under all of it. And so he says, no man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. So Jesus has obviously, by the way, been meditating on a particular passage of scripture because everything he quotes is within like two chapters in Deuteronomy. Mm. He's been, this has been in his, on his mind and boom, it comes to his tongue and, and out in the form of words and answers these temptations. That, I think you've probably had that experience. I have as well, where the more I'm in the word, the more I find that what I'm reading suddenly applies to what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Uh, that one doesn't work. That was the softball. That was the, the first one. Then he takes him miraculously to the pinnacle of the temple, says, take a flying leap. Then he tries to use Jesus' strategy against him, saying, mm-hmm. for it is written, he will yeah. command his angels concerning you, and you will not strike your foot against the rock. They'll lift you up and catch you. And once you do that, everyone will see you, and they'll worship you. They'll know you're... And he says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then finally, he somehow shows him all the kingdoms of the earth, which was very easy to do in this fair setting by just having there be kind of a place where you buy the crowns and scepters. Uh, and says, all right, just bow down and worship me for a second, and I will withdraw my claim hmm. as God of this world on all these nations, and you can just have them. Hmm. And you and I will know you did this, but no one else will even know. And and then I love how Jesus at that point says, away from me, Satan, yeah. um, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then Satan leaves. Uh, and, and that is, I think, the use of the sword of the spirit, mm. right? Perry, Perry thrust, and then this guy is, like, bleeding and, and running away. And then angels come and attend to him, which is yeah. uh, another beautiful picture here, which we sort of see in Christian's experience as yeah. well. So all of that is very briefly related in a, a paragraph Uh, I kind of stretched it out a little bit just to remind listeners, the road you're walking is indeed a road that Jesus has walked. Mm -hmm. Even when it seems like, well, obviously Jesus wouldn't have gone into the sketchy places. I find myself, that's exactly where he went. Yeah. Uh, And he stood. Therefore, you can stand. Yeah, that's where he went. Those are the people that he went to. You know, know, the people that probably offers the most temptations. Prostitutes and drunks and tax collectors, people you could spend lavishly. And waste lives and just into the very pit pit of temptation. He's not he's not, you know, trimming and pruning and purifying his life, so it's only the most godly that he's around. That's uh, what the Pharisees did. Right, yeah. And that's why the Pharisees said of him he's a, yeah, he's a, a drunkard, drunkard he's, a yeah. he's a glutton yeah. and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He goes and and uh, the moment he calls Matthew, yeah, Matthew says, All right, party at my house. All my friends need to meet you. And it's not the like cream of the crop of society that's yeah. there. It's the dregs. Yeah. It's the people who you would never want to bring home and meet your parents. You know, yeah. that's who he came for. Yeah. And, and I think I introduced this line entirely, but as he's walking into the the town, he doesn't have use for any of the stuff in there. Yeah. But he's come to save not just the victims there, like the children that he rescues. Yeah. Um and I, I confess to a little intentional conflating together of kind of the purifying of the temple imagery and the yeah. uh, uh, temptation imagery, but also for the people who are the perpetrators there, the people yeah. who put the kids in the in the cage, the people yeah. who are selling uh, the wickedness. He came to save all of them, to seek mm-hmm. and save the lost. Yeah, We forget that the longer we spend in the church, unless we're in a church that very intentionally reminds us again and again of that, mm-hmm. because you can start to get that pharisaical 
fortress mentality of there are bad people out there. Yeah. God came for the good people in here. It, it, <laughs> nope. It, it, again and again and again, at least in the Pauline epistles, Paul will stop in the middle of a sentence, especially in his lists, his list of sins. Mm -hmm. And he'll remind people. Of which you walked. Yeah. Of which we, you know, took part. Sinners uh, of whom I was chief. Chief. Uh, right. Just reminding yourselves that this is exactly where you come from. Mm -hmm. This is this is exactly who you were. You should be able to see your face in every single stall. You know, you should be able to see your face uh, purchasing the goods uh, because that's who you were. But I also love here the idea that as Satan is tempting him, kind of, kind of maybe even having in mind that he already has this stuff. Mm, right. He's yeah. already king of the world. Yeah, this is he my this. this is my father's world. This is my yeah. world. I created it out of nothing. I'm sustaining it by my very will. Yeah. You're going to give it to me? You're offering me. Well, yeah. yeah. You know, I uh, think the, the subtext is you won't have to fight me for it. Yeah. But that's not even like the outcome of that isn't in even question, in question anyway. So, yeah. You know, so you know, he he's he's able to walk kind of confidently in this and and because of that, I think so are we. Yes. And this yes. Is what applies to us. Is the that, battle's won for us too. Exactly. These temptations, these pleasures, these things are kind of already done away with. Or they're made not sinful or perfect in Christ, and you just have to wait until the new earth and the new creation and all this stuff is renewed. As we you know, read in First Peter, it's just sojourners and exiles inside of a land asking, well, what do we do here? Because this isn't home. This isn't some place where we're going to like build down and build roots and this and that. I mean, how do we interact with the Gentiles around us? Seek the good of the lands. Yep. Seek the glory of your king mm -hmm. while you're here. And I think that almost everything that's offered in Vanity Fair even has appropriate forums for enjoying in this world. Yes. You know, so where we're harlots and, and sexual gratification is offered, yeah. uh, God has offered a, a, a pure and has actually a gratifying... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or where, you know, titles and, and glory and things. Well, yeah, we glory not in ourselves, but in the cross of Christ and in, and in our king. Um, everything that's offered, it's a twisted version. Yeah. And for Jesus, he looks at it, and he, he's the one who created the pure version of it. Yeah. So he easily spots. But for those of us who have been Christians for any amount of time, we should be so familiar with the pure version of it. Yeah. You know, it's like the old sermon illustration, and I don't know if this is true or not. This is the case for a lot of old sermon illustrations, <laughs> but it works well. That when a bank teller is being trained uh, to identify bogus currency, counterfeit currency, they don't show them a whole bunch of examples of different counterfeit currency. There may be a little of that, like, do you see this? How? What's wrong with this? Or you know, But mostly what they do is just show them thousands and thousands and thousands of examples of the real thing. And I think that it's very easy, whether it's doctrinal, you know, like teaching about... Uh, heresies and cults and things, that, that has its place. But mostly you just want to know Jesus really, really well and know yeah. true doctrine. And when it comes to how we find satisfaction in this life and, and what gratifies us and what, what gives us joy, it's definitely more beneficial to spend time just enjoying Christ yeah. rather than railing on in the old fundamentalist way mm. uh, all these things that are so very bad and why they're so very bad and how they're so very bad. In Expository Thoughts on the Gospel, J.C. Ryle talks about knowing your shepherd's voice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Loving your shepherd's voice, being comforted by your shepherd's voice. And that's going to make it so much harder for an opposite voice, a different comfort to come in and take you away from it. Because you know where your comfort is. You know where you're safe. You know where you're provided with. Yeah. You know where the best grass is. You know who protects you from the wolves. Exactly. Yeah. We do that primarily by being people of the word, really knowing our shepherd's voice, knowing what's true, what's expected of us, 
and then existing inside of his church, truly and honestly. And I think and I think that leads to what you were talking about, which is knowing what's true repeatedly, constantly putting that into ourselves. It makes it impossible for a counterfeit to come in, unless it's a really, really good one. Yeah. And that happens. There are innovations in counterfeiting every year. Absolutely. And there are innovations in spiritual counterfeiting. Uh, so we need to hold each other accountable yeah. and, and, and continue to keep up on that like, like you would. I mean, I guess this thing, whether or not this is how they train bank tellers, it really does <laughs> hold together well. Yeah. Another thing that comes to mind is, uh, I think I uh, a few episodes ago referenced the very beginning of that uh, John Piper anthem acronym, okay. where it's avoid temptation, which w- in this case is not an option. Yeah. Right? And sometimes it's not. Yeah. The N in anthem is no. The moment it comes up, and this is something that Christian does, he plugs his ears yeah. and shouts, Lord, keep my eyes from looking upon vanity. And then from there on, it's not fighting against it. Yeah. It's all this looking to the true currency. Turn, turn to Christ, hold, hold tight to him and what he's done for you. Enjoy is the E, enjoy his, uh, just being in his presence. Getting the satisfaction from your creator, your savior, that you would not have gotten from that sin had you given into it, had you said yes instead of the N. And then M is move on to something uh, useful or valuable, you know, go do something for somebody. Or yeah. if you just sit there thinking about the fight you just had, you're probably going to enter back into it and fall. And, and that's all very well uh, backed up by scripture. I think that's, that's one of my favorite. I'm not an acronym guy, but that's one of my yeah. favorite ones. <laughs> but like the idea that most of beating temptation is not this like draw your sword and, and be a man and go to battle. That's got to happen. And that's got to mm-hmm. be your immediate response to the flesh is to put it to death, mortify the flesh. But if you just think of yourself as this kind of brawler, always fighting against the flesh, you're going to fall. Yeah. Even the strongest guy, if you just battle after battle after battle, no, no, you turn, you hold, you enjoy, you move on to uh, something useful. And obviously what's going to be the case here is that faithful is going to do that. Mm. He's put his foot down in a way, I mean, it wasn't even a question for him, where Christian seems to be yeah. waffling and struggling, and he is immediately able then after saying, let's worship and let's encourage each other. And Christian's like, I worship? I'm just down. Yeah, yeah. He's able to say, well, here's this guy in Anity who comes to my, and this will be the next the next chapter, who comes to my door with meals every day. I can preach the gospel to him. Mm-hmm. I, I've got, uh, thank you, Lord. What a blessing that even as I'm waiting for trial, I can still glorify you mm-hmm. by leading someone to Christ. And that whole thing in Bunyan's text comes way later when uh, it's being re- related uh, after the fact, but yeah, I think that that's a. I think that's the only fitting acronym mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Christian world. No, I'm kidding. But like the idea of turning and holding and enjoying, uh, it's very much akin to um, always finding your satisfaction in the things that God has given us that are pure and noble and true and all that Philippians four eight stuff. Mm-hmm. If we can't find our, if we don't find our satisfaction in that. We will find it in something else. It's that expulsive power of a new affection. Yeah, I mean, he's also talked about you know not not proving your Christianity in um, in the pornography shop. As, yeah, this was the first one. You know, it's, it's not something you intentionally go out and look for. Yeah, avoid it. Yeah, where can I stand? Where can I where can I throw myself into the most possible? Temptation that glorifies and, the flesh and right. builds up confidence in the flesh, yeah. which is a fool's and you're gonna game. fall. Yeah, yeah. Well, Take you know. heed lest you fall. Yeah, yeah. And so even though he's he has no choice but to walk through this. Yeah. Both the Prince of Princes, Jesus, and Christian and faithful, they don't linger. Yeah. They don't say, "Well, I can look at this stuff and not fall." I got to engage culture. 
Yeah. They say, I'm not looking at this stuff. Yeah. I'm going to keep moving and I'm going to engage these people around me. Yeah. And when they ask what I want to buy, I'm going to say we buy the truth. And when they ask, yeah. what are you doing here? I'm going to say we're passing through to the celestial land and uh, I'm not, I'm just not having any of it. I'm not going to toe the line. I'm not going to shuffle up to the line. I'm moving through. And here's my question to you. Eventually, so the people who don't get killed, mm-hmm. ostensibly there are plenty of people who pass through here and don't get killed. And those people go back out of Vanity Fair, right? Mm. And they're back on kind of the quaint rural lane again where they bump into a few people here and there. Yeah. What does that look like in a Christian's life? What is Bunyan picturing for us here? Or is he just basically saying, I'm done with this aspect of the life and I'm moving on to another, but they all really kind of happen concurrently for the believer? I think that there are intense times of the world trying to pull the Christian off of the road. Mm-hmm. And I think that this could probably be an example of the most intense time of Christian trying to be, you know, actually tugged off of the road um, and not making a decision for himself. The guy with the mine doesn't seem to be a problem for him, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they just kind of blow past that guy and go, yeah, good luck, you know. Uh, and adios to the other guys. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, but you know, it, this seems to be that most intense time. And, and, and it's interesting. It almost kind of works with Christian, Right. Why don't we just purchase something small? Why don't we just give him a, a tad bit, just a little bit? Why don't why don't we why don't we modernize as the church a little bit, right? As Christians a little bit, so that people know that we're still hip and we're still cool and we're still mm-hmm. relevant and we still you know we can yeah. laugh at this stuff that they laugh at. And that way, and that you way, know, it's holy things. Yeah, well, and and in that way, whenever we speak truth and the tremors come and it bothers everybody, you know, they can you know we can hold up that one little trinket and say, well. G- g- Right. But at least I have this. I'm with you. I'm not like those other guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm, I, I, this, this was the downfall in many ways, and this is probably a really minority view, but I think this was kind of the downfall of a lot of the emergent church and the uh, kind of emergent adjacent Orthodox movements like mm-hmm. Young Restless Reformed, where we kind of said, you know, we can laugh at ourselves too. And you go, okay, that's fine. Sure. Yeah. Everyone ought to be able to say, you ought, we ought to be able to look at the satanic panic and go, that was silly. We ought yeah. to be able to look at, I got a friend in Jesus, Sunseed or whatever video and go, okay, haha, I get it. That's very silly. Um, but like once the blogs start coming out, you know, stuff Christians like, stuff Christian culture likes, whatever. First of all, you're ripping off the world. So you're doing the thing that you're <laughs> kind mm. of... Yeah. Uh, mocking uh, in the church, but you're also, you're going to run out of safe targets soon. Mm. And you're going to just start putting in your crosshairs things about the church, which you would only attack if you were trying to score points with the world. Right. And I fell into that trap a little. Uh, I'm not, I'm not like throwing John Acuff under the bus. He didn't invent the idea of the stuff Christians like, and I don't think he was the most successful at pulling it off. Uh, my buddy, Ted Cluck and I wrote that, uh, yeah. younger wrestlers are reformed or which was, yeah. and, and when that's I looked, what I was going to bring up when yeah, you were saying that I look through it and I go, yeah. there's stuff in here. That's like, yeah, we were a little full of ourselves and that's what we were making fun of. Sure. And there's stuff I look at and I go, okay, this is just uncharitable crap. That's, mm. that's setting our gun sights on good people and good things. So, so I think that that kind of uh, mockery was one example of buying something that seems good-natured or seems harmless. Sure. That then you can hold up when the tremors come. Yeah. And 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 say, look, I'm not I'm not one of those Christians. Yeah. And that yeah. very notion to me was very appealing as a young 
you know, seminary student. Sure. And I see it for the the very dangerous thing that it is now. That well, I'm I'm a Christian, but I'm not like that. Yeah. You, well, there are other guys we should all together throw stones at. But don't throw any stones at me. I'm one of the good ones. It's it's an interesting transition because 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 when I first got saved, I thought the exact same way. So I was very much shaved into like the tail end of the young Wrestleson reform movement. Mm-hmm. So it had started to show its age a bit, uh, or the people at least involved in it had started <laughs> to show their age a bit. I think that it's an interesting transition to want to be that way, to want to be able to point and say, "I'm not like those Christians. I'm not like this," and and you know, I don't want to tie myself down to traditional. Christianity. Mm-hmm. There's and then, baggage. And then you mature a bit and you get to, we have very long conversations about church history and people that have come before us and, and looking at it and saying, I want to be more like those guys. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I actually forget all this other stuff. You know, you know, I kind of want to be more like these other individuals back here. So it's this, I don't know, for me, it was maybe like a growing thing where like, I just couldn't wait to not be associated with you know, not that, not this, not that. And then I find myself going, no, actually, you know what? Let's go further down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, let's get, let's get a hundred years down the line, 200 years down the line. Yeah. Give me those guys. Burn me for the gospel or something. Oh, and it's quite possible one of these guys is going to be burned for the, the gospel, but that's not going to be in this episode. Before that, they just get, first of all, harassed. Yeah. Uh, for the type of clothing that they're wearing. They have different attire from other people. The the text given there is Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom cool. decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So they're dressed in an odd way. First thing Ananity said about them. Don't go in there like that. Yeah. They'll kill you for it, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so they're just being kind of mocked and, and pointed out and maybe things there and there tossed at them and enduring that kind of ignominy and humiliation. Yeah. Which happens today Big greatly. Time. In yeah. the West, it happens a lot more than overt uh, kind of end your life persecution. Yeah. And yet... I know a lot of people, and sometimes myself included, who will really cry foul when that happens. Get angry, want to, you know, win the argument and counter-humiliate that other person and not be, I don't want to feel small and stupid. Mm. But if I'm not willing to do that, there's no way I'm willing to let them pile the wood at my feet and light me up. Yeah, well, this is the this is the this is the grace aspect and the spirit working through us aspect. You know, you know, you, I think we can pull Peter out as a really good example here. Angry, no, you're not going to do that, Jesus. I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to cut ears off. To right after receiving the Holy Spirit, right, being beat for the gospel, and then and then rejoicing. leave rejoicing. Yeah, right, right. A very very different view. Um, of 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 suffering, a very very different view of persecution, where you move from this great shameful, awful, terrible thing to, I'm rejoicing because I'm counted worthy to be persecuted for the gospel. Now it's a worthiness question. It's no longer is it good or bad or this or that. Or it's fair am I worthy? or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so not only has the world told you something about how they see you as someone to be mocked and persecuted lightly. Yeah. Uh, and and made uncomfortable and 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 branded as an as an idiot a rube, 
God has told you something about how he sees you. Yeah. As being worthy to suffer for the name. Yeah. And who are we going to focus on? Yeah. What the world thinks? They mm-hmm. hated Jesus. They'll hate us. He promised that. Yeah. You're not going to change their mind. Yeah. Or do we focus on, yeah, what God, and, and I mean, it's so easy to say mm. when, when you're not, uh, you know, feeling singled out and mocked and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and these days, of course, we don't actually pile wood at people's feet and start a fire in, in the West. Yeah. Uh, no, we just pile on with clicks and likes and, and, you know, people look and go, oh, 709,000 people laughed at a joke, you know, that my wife is ugly. Hmm. Okay, that, that's harmless. Sticks and stones. No, 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 no. If once people see you as a, a, an avatar for Jesus yeah. and begin to mock you, I mean that's that's difficult. But it also tells you something amazing about how God sees you mm. as, in a sense, standing there as, as the presence of Jesus to people. And, yeah. and what a huge responsibility and what a huge honor yeah. at the same time. Yeah. They looked at them and they thought that they were bedlams, which means like crazy people, while others derided them as outlandish men, meaning literal. We say outlandish like it's a crazy idea. That means literally from out of the land. They're, they're foreigners, which of course they are. And we could look at a bunch of texts that indicate that that's the case. Uh, you already referenced one. Uh, Peter makes a lot of us being, and Paul in Ephesians, of us being yeah. foreigners to this land, mm-hmm. being people who are here passing through just like they are passing through Vanity Fair. Part of me always wants to stop and make the distinction. We do belong here on this earth, ontologically. We're earthlings for heaven's sake. We were not created to float on a cloud, but to live amidst trees and dirt of which we're made and to eat and breathe and swim, etc. It's ethically that we don't belong here. And when the new earth comes, all the best of what you have here, you will have. And I acknowledge this is the kind of talk that will make people mock us for thinking we're like half a Scientologist talking about a new mm. earth or something. It's the promise we have that, we, that, that we're willing to suffer for. Uh, but you'll have all that, but you won't have the ethical stuff that, that would drag you away, that would pr- make these false, empty promises and try and get you to turn against your Savior. The thing I didn't include because I couldn't figure out how to do it in an audio format and there are very few things that I have not included so far. Yeah. Do you know what it is? No. The pilgrims spoke their native tongue, the language of Canaan. But those who managed and frequented the fair, they spoke the language of this world. So that throughout the fair, their foreign speaking made them appear as barbarians in their midst. Um, I, I have another version of this that I was working off of that says each appeared a barbarian to the other. So they kind of just couldn't understand each other. They were speaking mm. a different language. Once you then get to the trial, though, they understand everything that's going on. So yeah, it, it, it was a clever it little biblical like, nod. Yeah, maybe I, more like an accent. Yeah, you know, I'm not maybe, about to start know. doing a bunch of accents. No, no, I don't mean you, but like, like <laughs> yeah, maybe it that's could what be it acknowledged is. Yeah. by the people that this, or this they is a Spanish Portuguese strong, thing, yeah. strong heavenly accent. They sounded coarse each to the other one. Our, mm. Ours sounds more refined than yours. Yeah, uh, which is probably the case in most places. You know, you go down south. Uh, and we probably sound silly. Uh, oh, yeah. They come up here, and yeah. we say, oh, say this word, say this word, and we Tint. chuckle. Yeah, yeah, like we're, and in this case, only a few people have this particular way of speaking, and so it seems outlandish, silly, stupid. By the way, when, when uh, Christian does put his fingers in his ears, and, and both of them do it in, in Bunyan's text, and they cry out, turn away my mine eyes from beholding vanity, hmm. looking up he- heavenward, 
signifying that their trade and commerce was in heaven. That is a direct reference to uh, Psalm 119.37. We also might look at 1 John 2, 15-17. Can you get there quicker than me? Ooh, this should be a thing that we always do. We race. We race First there. 1 John what? 3? 2 No. Oh, there. <laughs> I open right. Okay. Oh, all right. You're there. 1 right. no, John no, no, 2. No. no one here. 15-17. to 17. Okay. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There it is. And, and I think that that passing away language is so important. It's like investing in Confederate dollars. Hmm. Not during the Civil War right. when it's, uh, you know, believed in. but now yet for a Christian, we know this is already, this market's crashed. Like the, uh, that scene in Better Call Saul when he gets the, the first call about the first client. It's that guy that wants to secede from right. America. And he says he's going to pay him. In his currency. This, this ridiculous amount of money. He gets all excited. Yes. And then he comes out with that briefcase and it's just fake money. And he just drives as fast as he can away. <laughs> that's that's a very good picture yeah. of what the world offers. Yeah. yeah. We we back it up. There's no gold standard. But right. you know what? It's on the, the, the faith and and integrity of this world's system. Mm. Oh, you mean the one that's that's passing away and crumbling on itself as we speak. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. I'll take something that's literally eternal yeah. o- over and against that. And then, of course, what seems to eventually land them in the real hot water and get them arrested and dragged away, and, and it starts what will become a trial and then all sorts of uh, terrifying things, is when they are asked, all right, what are you doing here? What will you buy? You came here to a place of, of commerce. What is it you're in the market for? But the pilgrims soberly replied, we buy the truth. There's two texts given for that. Proverbs 23, 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Uh, and this from a guy who bought everything. He imported peacocks. Right. Uh, you know, and, and built yeah. fountains. That, no, he, he recognized later, read Ecclesiastes, read Proverbs. Mm, no, buy truth. Uh, mm. Invest in that. Uh, what about that John 17, 17? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Mm. This is a position that the people of Vanity Fair cannot tolerate. It is insufferable to them. And it is certainly going to, to get the same rise out of people today. We've, we've traveled so far. People and by that I mean not truth. at all. Yeah. They've always hated truth. We can go back to our Reformation roots and we can see, let's stand on top of truth. And they'll want it until it costs something. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Truth, truth. And then it costs you something. And you go, oh, that's not truth anymore. Right, or, yeah, we've got new truth. We, we've got yeah. truth 2.0 now. Yeah. And they, that used to take three generations. Now it could take three months. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, absolutely. If we fast forward to our time now and it's it's kind of the same discussion. Truth, what is truth? Yeah, yeah, you've got... You know? But at least Pilate kind of seemed to sort of care. It, it's hard to say when, when Jesus talks about the truth and he says, what is truth? Maybe he's flippantly saying that. Or maybe... He really wants to know. What is truth to me? And, and, and I guess, of course, I'm, I am reading this with a bias. But that kind, of, that kind of question to me is just so utterly planted in kind of like high school philosophy class. Mm. We are not actually going to do anything deep or meaningful or interesting. 
someone's just, you know, verifying their job for a school district. Uh, <laughs> oh, I get it. You're a cynic. Yeah. And then, and then the, this is some kind of ultimate question here. No one can get around it. No one knows. No one can deal with it. Come on, guy. You know, uh, because he seems to operate in truth an awful lot. He seems to be run by fear, which would be based off of a truth of what somebody else can do to you. Oh, are the Jews going to rise up or are Jesus' disciples going to rise up? Or is Rome going to put me to death because I've put down another bloody rebellion or something like that? He, he seems to be awfully aware of what truth is in those moments. Yeah. You yeah. know, the fact that someone can actually act towards you in a violent way. He's perfectly fine with that. He's fine with the truth of his position and his power because he gloats that over Jesus. I have the right to decide what's going to happen to you. So won't you speak and defend yourself? You know, he, he seems fine with that truth. It's only when there's some kind of like rebuttal and they're like, oh, but what's truth? What's that? Come on. You know, <laughs> we got we to gotta be able to think a little deeper than that. If you really want to get into the what's truth thing, climb into a box, you know, see if you exist, you know. <laughs> or just go stand in the middle of I-75. Right, yeah. Is there any real uh, truth? Is there any real concrete truth? Now, I think our culture... You know, this goes back into the 90s and even to the, the 60s with Foucault and stuff. But I mean... Yeah, you remember that? post No, I don't remember the 60s. I remember the, I remember the 90s. Give it to me. Uh, the idea that there is no truth. Yeah. That, that truth is a lowercase t thing and everyone makes their own truth. Mm. That has kind of done a, a 180, but only because what it was intended to accomplish has been accomplished. Now, it's a shame that we live in a post-truth society... Everybody's got fake news or, you know, their own, like, weird sure. theories, and, and there's no good authority. You know, you can't turn on Walter Cronkite and find out the way it is. Everyone's got their own weird little sources. And there's some, you know, there's, there's some concern there. But we only have gotten to this point of wanting to get back to truth once we've successfully divorced spiritual truth from the rest of, you know, real factual-based mm. stuff. Uh, where spiritual truth, you know, what's true for me may not be true for you, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And, and I think that's what you're referencing in, in Pilate's musing, right? He acknowledges, yeah. obviously, the only reason I have to wash my hands of this is because there is a greater truth at play. Yeah. But when it comes to this guy who's some mystic rabbi, some teacher that I don't king. understand. Yeah. Yeah, he's a king of a heavenly land. What is that? What is, does that even mean? Does anything mean anything? Yeah. And I love then the way the Pilgrim's Progress, the allegory is just bringing it all into the same concrete world. Yeah. Because it is part of the same concrete world. Jesus did walk actual streets on this globe. I, I believe it's a globe. Uh, <laughs> spinning. Did I do that joke before? No. Uh, that's, a, that's a go-to for me. And if the world is going to try and separate out one kind of truth from another... Why then are they so quick to persecute people for a, just this very, very narrow band of belief within mm. this spiritual truth, which is nebulous and open to all? Oh, no, oh, we, we only object when it starts to encroach into the real world. Right. If it doesn't do that, it's useless. Mm. It's like saying you'll write checks to people as long as they don't cash them. I mean, it's, it doesn't right. make any sense. Sure. And in this world, like in the book of Acts... There's no room for a separation between the miracles of the jail cell opening and the graves being opened and, and the sun being darkened and the miracles of people being saved from their sins. Mm. You know, it's all part of one world. Uh, it's, it's not been bifurcated. And I think that's the real challenge of a Christian today in trying to bring the gospel to somebody. First and foremost, you have to make sure that they haven't separated, divided their worldview into two things. One which is facts and figures and 
uh, stuff that can be touched and felt and observed and, and uh, measured, and then the other, just this kind of nebulous spiritualism, superstition, whatever, religion, whatever your views are on this or that. They're all good. They're all valid. They're all equally valid. Hmm. What a weird left turn that postmodernism took. I didn't see yeah. it coming. I really didn't. Hmm. It's an interesting thing to kind of be born into because because if you like history, you're able to look back and say that people have just kind of functioned always on the idea that like there's just things that are and there's things that aren't. And sure, sometimes there was ignorance about things that are or things that aren't, but they at least believed it was true and they functioned in that way. To kind of come into a society where everyone's kind of tongue-in-cheek about things that they believe and it's, everything's so wish and washy, and mm-hmm. you can believe something one day and then not believe it the next. Or you can or believe two things that contradict, contradict each other, each and that seem not as insane, but as sophisticated. Right, 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 right. Because one is no one's actually doing anything that actually requires <laughs> right. these things, that would actually ever you know, require these things to come to a head. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know, that's a really big thing, where you used to actually have to get up and do things. You have to interact with the world. At some point. Uh, I mean, not if your world is completely fabricated off of who you want to hear and who you don't want to hear mm-hmm. and who you can silence forever yeah. just Blocking, by blocking them yeah. or this or that. I mean, I guess at that point, you really don't need to deal with any kind of truth. I think about this often, the conversation that Jesus is having with the woman of the well, spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. That's that's how people are going to worship in the future. But like putting down a line, no, the way you worship is not correct. Yeah. That's it. That's that's as complicated as I'm going to... I mean, and of course, he saw through what she was doing, trying to, you know, push the push the direction off of herself. But, like, it really is that simple. Wrong way to worship, right way to worship. The Jews have it right. Don't worry. There's going to be a time when people everywhere... And has already come. Yeah. So it's, yeah. People so are going to be worshiping. Stop with the misdirection. Let's get back yeah, to you. Yeah, let's get back to real truth about your life. Yeah, the one you're living with isn't your husband. The concept of it not existing is so... It's just odd. Yeah. It's odd. It's it, it's an odd one every single day. My head pops off the pillow. <laughs> you look around, you, this is some kind of Willy Wonka land, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Did I take the red pill, man? Yeah, I don't. What if you would have taken both pills? Like, grabbed them both and swallowed them. What would have happened? Oh, okay. <laughs> now, there are many disturbances in the fair, uh, all caused by these two guys and yeah. their refusal to fall in line with the worldview of the fair. I think it's interesting that they they love chaos, they love anarchy, they love letting your flesh just rule every moment until it messes with the overarching order and profitability of the fair. And then they get very angry. We read, eventually things came to a great commotion and disturbance in the fair, so much so that disorder was everywhere. And the text there is from Acts 19. uh, And this whole thing smacks of that chapter where uh, Paul comes to Ephesus and he is winning so many people to Christ that the silversmiths there who make their living selling yeah. idols of Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians, they freak out and they start a riot and they're shouting, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, and they want to tear Paul to shreds. And the same sort of thing happens here. He's getting in the way of making money. And that is, I mean, trans-civilization, trans-era, the universal language hmm. uh, that will get you piled on and probably done away with is if you start messing with people's livelihood and their ability to enrich themselves and, and, and pile wealth up. Uh, that also maybe from a worldly perspective, their mistake. Mm. If they had just kept their mouths shut, 
and pretended they didn't hear people, but still not bought anything. Pretended to be deaf or something they could have gone through, but they couldn't. They had to answer. Hmm. They're called to be a witness. You have not yet come to the point of blood in, in your battle against sin, in your witnessing for the Lord, and, and here they're going to. Now, there's a little bit of a distinction between uh, how I had this all play out and, and how Bunyan originally wrote it. Um, there are more stages, kind of, I think, to their imprisonment and humiliation in Bunyan's original. So they explain that they're just passing through, of course, and they're on their way to the heavenly Jerusalem, that they didn't harass anybody, that they didn't do anything uh, other than perhaps to neglect to buy any goods. But the appointed examiner did not believe them, though they did regard them as madmen and lunatics and likely to be the sort who would bring confusion to the fair. Therefore, they were detained to be beaten, then besmeared with dirt and caged in such a way as to be made a spectacle to all the men of the fair. And there they lay for some time, while being made the objects of any man's sport and or malice or revenge. Meanwhile, the governor of the fair only continued to laugh at their plight. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 9 and 13. There you go. Civility. <laughs> right. You want your tolerance? I got your yeah, tolerance, I got your right, tolerance here. right here. Yeah, there you go. Why can't you be a little more enlightened like us? Well, we well Sweet. we mock you and beat and, you yeah. before your trial even. Yeah. Oh, sure. Beat and, you. And this again is very Pauline, right? Yeah. And, and of course, they don't have anything to fall back on like Paul did. They can't say we're I'm a Roman. Yeah. Yeah. We're not uh, citizens of vanity, so we can't claim any kind of protections. They they just take it with this this pious dignity, and and endure for for the gospel. Uh, the two verses are first. Corinthians 4, 9, and 13. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. And then verse 13. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Yeah. The picture there, I think, uh, is, is of the Roman victory parade, hmm. where at the very end, uh, after all the triumphant soldiers and and, uh, you know, beautiful women and everything, they, the spoil that they're showing off, you have this collection of prisoners of war being brought in, humiliated. They're the scum of the earth. And uh, the the world. this is the guys. Uh, the, a friend of mine uh, goes to a church in Denver called Scum of the, Scum of the Earth Church. And I, I, of all the like two clever by half church names, that's one of my favorites. I really, I really love it yeah. uh, because it would both be a conversation starter and, and immediately bring you to the gospel. Yeah, and remind you every week, like, yeah, sinner saved by grace. Mm. Yep, I was in the miry pit and I was covered in muck, and he pulled me out. Oh, interesting. I have a shirt that I've I've never worn in front of you. Ooh, ooh, okay. Out of this exact thing. What is it? What is it? Describe it's the, it in detail. Uh, uh, it's the Agnus Dei uh -huh. with, you know, blood pouring out of its side and it says scum of the earth, light of the world Ooh. on it. Uh, Do you think I would... I would just the just 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 scum that? on the earth thing in association with an image portraying Christ. Christ. I think if someone isn't like well-versed in Bible, not to say that you're not well-versed in Bible, <laughs> just to, just to say, it. I doubt, yeah. But, um, but just, you know, like, I feel like, I feel like it has the potential to throw more than it does. Yeah, help. it depends on who you're around. If people were going to yeah, ask you about why. it, that could be the that could be the thing. Yeah, yeah. If you were going to be around Christians, you might be caused to stumble. Or yeah, yeah, yeah I could where they have to look at that symbol and go, "But isn't that isn't that yeah, you know, one of the oldest symbols of Christ that we have?" And mm -hmm. 
older than the cross yeah. as a, an image uh, of Jesus for the church. And you're using the term scum, you know. But the pilgrims remained patient and never returned abuse for abuse received. On the contrary, they only blessed while speaking good words for bad and acted kindly in the face of brutal treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Peter 3, 9. We were just reading uh, that in men's group not that long ago. This idea that, that Peter seems to have really gotten beyond his ear-chopping days. Yeah. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Beautiful. So hard to do. Hmm. But walking directly in the footprints of Jesus, so attainable. Yeah. And we're kind of, uh, I diverged from from Bunyan's uh, narrative he has the two prisoners brought again before the examiners after that, charged with being guilty of causing the recent disturbance in the fair. As a result, they beat them unmercifully, hung them in irons, and paraded them in chains up and down the streets of the fair, this being intended to make them an example and warning to the citizens, lest they should be tempted to defend the pilgrims or associate themselves with them. And of course, anyone who even spoke up and said, okay, you've done enough, is then uh, basically condemned without trial. To uh, being put in the stocks and being them- themselves uh, treated as if they're part of the party that is won over to them. That'll come up again at the trial. But Christian and faithful behave themselves with increasing wisdom while continuing to have humiliation and shame cast upon them. Yet with so much meekness and patience, they did begin to win to their side a comparative few of the men at the fair. This caused the more militant opponents to only rage all the more, so much so that they now sought the death penalty for the prisoners. Therefore, they announced that not merely the cage and irons were sufficient to satisfy them, but that the strangers should die on account of the damage they had caused and the deception of some of the men of the fair. John 3.19 is the text there. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Read the next one, too. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Hmm. How pharisaical is that, too? Looking at Jesus' ministry, and as soon as he starts to win over crowds, you know, of people, got to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Got to kill him. It was at a point where we could just kind of push it off as a prophet. Or, he's a you know, weird, we crazy guy. Yeah. Weird, crazy guy. He's, he's, he's out there with John, you know, they're eating honey and locusts, and he's baptizing people. And, but it's harmless. But, right, right, right. Um, but, but as soon as he starts to get rise out of the crowds, and you start seeing the kind of stuff that he's saying, got to die. Gotta kill him. Yeah. You probably don't remember the uh, Michael W. Smith song, Secret Ambition, from the late 80s, do you? It was remember it? Never heard of it. Absolute CCM mega hit. There's a line in it. Uh, it's about Christ and how people didn't know what he came to do, you know, was to die. Um, but it says, old men watch from the outside, guarding their prey. Mm. I always loved that line. Sure. They're not guarding people that they value. They're guarding their prey. Yeah. And that's happening in Vanity Fair as well. If you're going to start getting into my customer base, it's like, I mean, you watch these movies about uh, uh, teachers who start having an impact on the youth and they start getting off drugs and not wanting to be part of gangs. And then the drug dealers and gang leaders come in and say, I'm going to kill you if you keep doing this. (laughs) This also is a relic of the 80s. There was a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably dancing while they do it too. But you're no longer like a harmless curiosity. Once you start uh, getting into my bank account and into mm. my 
comforts and my lifestyle, you got to go. And they, as a as one, decide these people have got to die. Obviously, they're going to have blood. Mm. You look at this and you say, someone's someone's going to die here. But, and I don't, I'm not giving any spoilers here, because there are plenty of times in Scripture where it seems like, for example, Paul's done for. Yeah. And then there's a miracle, and he walks out. Same thing with Peter. Uh, and then there's sometimes like with Stephen, where you're like, oh, I can see the the bloodlust in the crowd. And then yep. they kill him. They get killed. Or with James. Yeah. So that'll be, a, you know, a discussion for another time. One more text here. Then Christian and Faithful were remanded to the cage again until the process of law could deal with them. <laughs> here they were incarcerated with their feet fastened in the stocks. Uh, and that Acts 16, 24 shows us that he pulled this right from the life of Paul. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Of course... This is going to be a major, this Acts 16, a major point of reference for the next two chapters uh, in which, of course, the Philippian prison, there was an earthquake, and we've been seeing some earthquakes. The door swung open, and instead of leaving, they stayed so that the guard wouldn't be put to death, and they won him over to Christ. Um, And I think that's one of the most powerful images in the whole New Testament. You have Peter... He's let out, right? There's yeah. an earthquake and the thing opens and the angel says, come on, come on out. And he leaves and then he goes right back into the temple courts and preaches some more. But this time they must have just conferred and said, mm. we can't, we can't let this poor guy die. Yeah. We're ready to yeah. go to, we're ready to go to our death. He's right. not. Yeah. His family's not. Yeah. And then, and then they're all baptized that night. Here also they recalled to mind what they had formerly heard from their faithful friend evangelist. This caused them to be confirmed in their acceptance of the conditions and trials of the way since they had been told about them before they actually occurred. Now they also comforted each other by reasoning that whoever was chosen to suffer, he would indeed have the advantage. Therefore each man secretly desired that he might have the preference here. Yet they both committed themselves to the all-wise and sovereign purposes of the Almighty. So, being full of content... They rested in the condition in which they found themselves, waiting to see how they would be disposed of. Bunyan doesn't really have a stronger in the faith and weaker in the faith, but that's not as compelling of, of character work, so <laughs> <laughs> so we do. Have you ever felt like you were kind of in this position? Not that you were going to die necessarily, but that you were in kind of a limbo of, I don't know what God is going to allow to happen to me, and I have to find comfort in knowing that it was it was told ahead of time to me this might go down and i have to find acceptance here i I'd, I'd say i'd say i've gotten nose to nose with people before that i've worked with where i thought you know uh, if this person wanted to do physical harm to me they could you know if this person wanted to you know really probably cave in my head they're bigger than me and they probably could over the uh, gospel, we're talking about. Yeah, just just mm. just, just over, just over. Um, uh, there was there there was one guy that I I uh, I worked with for three or four years, and 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 we were friends. You know, we'd, we'd hang out outside of work, but um, there definitely was an agenda for me, uh, and that's was I was really trying to win him to the gospel, and I think that there was fruit there, but there were one or two nights where the things that I would say, or Probably in my youngness and my ignorance, maybe even more the way that I would say them, mm. you could tell would rub them wrong the wrong way, and yeah, you know, you know, we'd sometimes get nose to nose. 
And then, of course, there was a situation here. Yeah, you and I were both part of a, uh, yeah, Yeah. where where you say somebody comes into a church and the police are called and that person is saying violent things and clearly unhinged. Yeah. And you you have to to kind of ask yourself, yeah. Well, you kept asking that. Are you ready to die for your, you know, P word Jesus today and this and that? And you got to kind of go, well, if that's what's on your mind, then all right. I think you and I had both decided already long before that we were willing to die for Jesus. Yeah. And when you, yeah. there have been a number of times in my life too where I've thought it's an outside chance right here. Mm. That I mean, and in that moment, it didn't seem that outside. Honestly, the cops taking forever and everybody yeah. else being kind of ushered out the back door and everything. But yeah, these moments of uh, coming face to face with, oh yeah, count, it, count the cost. Did I count it? Yeah. And when I counted it, was I overestimating my own machismo? Yeah. Was it in the flesh that I was putting my, my trust or was it really in him? Maybe, maybe, maybe you want to recount it. Right. right yeah. Uh, I, I demand a recount. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I almost I'll made tell a hanging what. Chad's reference, but you wouldn't have gotten it. I don't get that. <laughs> um, uh, especially since I've had kids. Mm. Um, yeah. that's yeah. been, that's been a big Not thing. Not just you now. Yeah. Right. And, and the decisions that I make and, um, the things that I tell my kids, and that I, I pray earnestly that they believe as they get older is going to have direct ramifications, probably, on definitely on how they're treated inside of society and how they're seen and, 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 and how they're talked about and to, but possibly physically could also have ramifications on there. And um, when I got saved at just barely 19... Uh, obviously didn't have kids. Mm-hmm. Was dating my wife, but I wasn't married to my wife. Um, and now you start to look out and you start to see, oh, okay, without getting pl- really political about it, they're arresting people for certain constructs that I don't believe them the same way that that person believes them for, or for the same reasons, but I do believe that. Mm-hmm. It's starting to get a little closer to home. Right. And inside of the West, the impenetrable West, right, starting to arrest people, take kids away this and that. You look at that and you go, hmm, yeah. So so I didn't count that as a cost. Right. I didn't yeah. I didn't have the forethought at 19 to say, not only is this going to happen, but like like this is going to be ramifications for my kids. My kids could, you know, end up putting the bill for yeah. things that, for yeah, things when you're that told, I believe. Take up your cross. Yeah. It seems like a very personal, mm. privatized thing yeah. that you can say, yes, this is mine my life, I'm willing to lay it down. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and this isn't going to even be a factor for Christian, but it becomes a much more of one later for Christiana. Yeah. These boys are under my care. And am I going to take them on this insanely dangerous journey? Yeah. Are we going to go through the most dangerous parts of it? Or are we going to try and skirt around them? Yeah. Uh, are we going to just stop and set up shop somewhere else halfway down this road and say, eh, we're kind of... And on major holidays, we sort of are Jesus people, but it doesn't affect us on the day to day. But that doesn't that's too nice, much cost. Nice safe house, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, right alongside Mister Legality or something like that. Yeah, or, or, or his, his son, Mister Civility. Civility. It gets you that nice safe, you know, you know, you know, good schools, white picket fence neighborhood that you know he promised, where I can deliver you things. All you, you just have to act a certain way. You just have to, you know, you know, you know follow the law enough. Um, so that's something that I've thought about um, quite often is that having put the hand to plow, as Jesus said, you don't look back. 
There's no looking back. If you look back, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Having put the hand of the plow, having counted my troops and the enemy troops mm-hmm. and meted out whether or not I can win the battle. Finish this at Yeah. Having looked uh, at your having, line having, items and for the tower. Yeah, if I can actually build this tower, if I can afford to, and at a certain point in time saying yes, that directly affects all the decisions that I have to make now and, 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 and skew them differently. Mm-hmm. If I wouldn't have had kids, maybe there were some other options. Maybe there was some, you know, things here or there. Or, uh, but I am, I am where I am, and now, and now, you're stuck with these kids. Their souls, <laughs> right, right. But, I, mean, I mean, their their souls, their spiritual well-being become um, a major, major part of my time and my energy mm-hmm. and my effort. And and I have a hard time thinking about it. And I know you probably do because I see how much you love your son, and it's a lot, that how do you prepare or, or how do you help prepare your child for the inevitability of suffering when it's mm. not something I want to think about? I just I leave I all that th- to the uh, youth pastor. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> but, you know, you know it's, it's saturated inside of Scripture, the yeah. concept that you are called to suffer. All those who wish to have life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah. Right? You know, you know we, we have these... Time and time and time again, do not think that they're going to treat the slave, you know, any better than they're going to treat the master. My kids are fairly young, so we're not quite getting into it. We're still covering basics, but like that, this could cost you your life. This this is going to cost you things that on some level it will. Yeah. You will yeah. cost you your life because yeah. you are called to take up your cross and follow him. Yeah. Whether or not you're, you know, John, it cost him his life, even though he didn't die by the sword. Yeah. If you save your life, you lose it. He laid down his life. Yeah. For Christ's sake, and saved it, uh, and that's probably the case for you and me, mm. and for your children and mine. But unless you're ready to lay down your life, ultimately, it, it goes both ways. Like I think people assume when it came down to it, I would die for Jesus. But today, I'm not going to say no to porn or huh, yeah. to uh, drunkenness or to gossip, or whatever. But I, I think I'll have the strength to do the far, 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 far more impossibly hard thing. Mm-hmm. Or the people who, like, uh, I, I'm in in the fight for it now, but I don't really want to count a cost where it might, you know, this this little hobby of mine where I focus on more positive things and, uh, you know, try and cut the darkness out and the negativity out, don't want to then think of something that could be very negative, mm-hmm. which is this picture of, I mean, what, what Evangelist says, you will not go far on the road without these things, without yeah. suffering and, and sorrow. And, I mean, Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible in the, in the English translation there. And the fact that he wept and was a man of sorrows should be, uh, for us, an indicator. This is not going to be mm. all sunshine and roses. Right. James, but, James talks about turning our, turning our laughter to, yeah. to tears. And, 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 and obviously what he's saying is, get with reality. What's Listen, really you happening? Mourn, for they will be comforted. Yeah. So so that's something that I think about often, I think. I mean, at least at least as far as children go inside of persecution. Because you have kind of a downer outlook on things. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I'm not even going to pretend about it. You're kind of yeah. like uh, that, that chick on Spider-Man who says if you never let your uh, get your hopes up, you can't be disappointed. You know, if you're always yeah. expecting the worst. I like to I like to think of it more as like a realist type situation. Yeah. I think that most times things don't work out um, if we were to take a, a sum total of the world and we were to look at stripping me of all the wonderful, beautiful things I've been given and we're just going to compare person to person to person, we're going to tally numbers, most of the time it doesn't work out. Um, 
I mean, ultimately, oftentimes there's sadness and Ultimately, if you're in Christ, it always works out. It's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The last like, thing is not going to be yeah. uh, the, the worst thing. And that's, and that's where you separate the casual Christian, the cultural Christian, from the person who's really finding all of their life in Christ. Mm. Is, do I have hope beyond losing all of this? Yeah, all well, of this the stuff of this life, the stuff the, of this world. It's the it's the it's the rich young ruler kind of aspect, right? I mean, could you give it all up? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, if that's what I required of you, you could know, you he, give it all up. He hung his head and walked away. Hmm. Either because he was sad that he yeah. didn't want to, or because he was well, like, gonna take "Oh that. man, yeah. I gotta give all this." I like to think the second way. You, you like probably think, think the first. Th- way. I think the first way. That's the difference between us. That's why you know. That's why we make such a great team. I think here. so. Now we've got these guys in two separate prison cells at the end of the chapter, and along comes uh, the guard. The door swings open. There's faithful. There's an anity, uh, and he's told your trial is about to begin. That is the cliffhanger at the end of chapter 13, and I'm just going to promise you now, no spoilers, it will be at least as fair of a trial as uh, they gave Jesus. Right. So, and as you can expect from the culture today. Hmm. That being the case, know that Jesus has walked this road before you when you're tempted. It's not as special as it seemed. You're only being tempted with what is common to man, and there is a way out. Remember that you don't have a high priest who was not tempted, but was tempted in all ways as you are and yet remained without sin. He's there for you. He will give you a way out. He will give you the strength to get through. Keep your eyes on him. Keep focused on the gospel. Keep focused on the reward, not on the cost. And keep on the narrow road. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and please take a moment to leave us an honest review. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Theme music licensed from pond5.com. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of good news publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. For more audio experiences of my fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com slash audio. Hi, I'm Silva. Good. Jack. Brett!